welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Thanks for joining us in our Great Communicator series, where we talk with some of the top church leaders in the country about how to be effective preachers and teachers. Today, you'll hear from Wilfredo de Jesus, also known to many as Pastor Choco. Pastor Choco is the general treasurer for the Assemblies of God, and he's the first Latino to serve on the executive leadership team. He previously was the senior pastor of New Life Covenant Ministries, one of the fastest growing churches in Chicago, as well as one of the largest Assemblies of God congregations in the nation. But before we hear from Pastor Choco, we want to remind you that you can check out extended portions of some of our interviews at churchleaders.com slash plus. And if you're enjoying our interviews, it would help if you left a review. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Executive Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Choco. Choco, it is. Uh, and it's, it's strange because people, you know, that Wilfredo de Jesus, and then we say Choco, but everyone calls you Pastor Choco in Chicago, your long legacy here as well. Um, and now serving with the Assemblies of God in the center of the Pentecostal universe, Springfield, Missouri. But preaching is how I came to know you. And I've heard you preach multiple times. We had you preach multiple times in, in different contexts. Um, talk to me a little bit about what some of the best preachers and teachers have in common. From your perspective, what makes preaching good, resonate, compelling, and more? Yeah, first of all, thanks for the opportunity, Ed. We're good friends, thanks, and uh, thank you for the opportunity you've given me throughout the years. And uh, I think what we preachers have in common, or good practices, if you will, is I think, in my opinion, it would be knowing knowing the audience really sets the stage for uh, what your message is going to look like. Um, so that's for me is crucial when I go to a particular city, a state, a venue. Is what is who who's my audience? If it's a men's retreat, if it's a youth pastors, then I'm going to be able to um, go down that path. So I think what we all have in common is knowing the audience. So talk to me a little bit about that, because you were, you served for such a long time here in Chicago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, this church just exploded and you know, thousands were listening. Um, how did you, particularly as the church was small, and, and, and you know, tell about that story. The church was small, grew to that size. How did you continue to know the audience as your church grew? Yeah, so when I took over in July 9, 2000, it, the church was 68 people, and we were running one service in the year 2000. By the year 2019, we were running 17 services on a Sunday to the glory of God. And what one of the things, one of the disciplines I started learning was who, who's in my audience? I mean, you had lawyers, you had, you have ex-prostitutes, you had gangbangers, you had different levels of education. And so I kind of really made myself to make sure that there were part of my sermons that can connect with this subgroup and that subgroup. And as a pastor, you've got to try to understand that your church is full of different folks in different areas, social, economical, and, and, and subgroups. And I think that makes you a better preacher, a better pastor, when you know they're in the audience. I try to use words that even though I have a doctorate degree, I wanted to make sure that I knew had uh, people in my audience that were at a different level educational. So I was trying to always mix that in. And so the church started growing. And I was just intentional. Intentionality, for me, it's what separates a lot of the preachers or pastors, is caring for the sheep, making sure that the message, more than my words, 
that the message was going to come across to every segment in my audience. And then we had the audience on online, the people that came. We have blacks, we have white, Asians. As I told you, we have lawyers, we have millionaires, we have people who are poor folks that had uh, uh, an income of $27,000 a year. So all this was a dynamic that was playing in my, in my life that I, as I prepared my sermon, Ed, I wanted to make sure that the single mother that had an eighth grade level and uh, the lawyer that had a degree and uh, the, the city councilman who was in my off, who was in my audience and all these different folks that I was able to reach all of them. Yeah. So, and you use the word intentionality. So I want you to come back to the prep process because, you know, we're trying to help communicators, preachers and teachers here. So they're going to be sitting there doing that preparation process. So you're saying, I want to make sure that the person with the eighth grade education and the lawyer both get something and a message. Now you're back to preparation with me. How do you do that using your word intentionally in your prep process? Is that your writing, you're choosing your vocabulary? I don't want you to tell me generally, I want you to say, I... I write this at this level to do this, and then this is how I communicate it. Help me to get that, because I, I think everyone agrees with you. It's just like, how do people do that? And I've seen you do it masterfully. So tell us about that. So one of the things that your viewers need to understand is that I, I kind of write my sermon verbatim. Uh, my wife would help me out, prepare it. It would be 15 pages or a uh, page uh, of a sermon. And, and I would, hey, uh, good morning. So great to see you. This is Pastor Choco. So glad if you're visiting us for the first time. And I would look through all my words to make sure, first of all, that I understood them. Secondly, that I could pronounce them well. Uh, and then if there was a word that I thought was a $100 word, I'm like, mm. and I kind of look at a dictionary. Is there another way I can say this and still have the same effect? So that preparation part of it was crucial. It would take me days to be able to put those 15 pages together verbatim, the words, uh, and then have people look at them as well. Now, the other thing, too, part of my preparation, Ed, is that I had folks read it and and make sure that I wasn't over the hill. And um, I had people who were great in writing, people who were good in speech, help me out as well. So it was not only my wife and I, but the preparation for me was every word I wanted to make sure. Now, when I preached it, Ed, I didn't say it every word verbatim. I kind of had it in my belly. By the time I came on Sunday, I had that sermon in my belly for the most part. But I, even today, as a general treasure for the Assemblies of God, I still write uh, my sermon verbatim. And, and then I start rehearsing it, start trying to get in, let the Holy Spirit help me with it. But these are my preparations. Is back, uh, you know, It would take me days to be able to prepare one sermon and have folks read it for me and try to curtail it to meet those different subgroups in my church. Um, and there was good, there were good conversations that I had in my staff that, you know, because my, my sermon would not only go to me, but I had campus pastors who would also read them and, and to see if it's something that they can, obviously they would take my sermon, but they would use their twist to it. They would put their flavor. But for the most part, I had to make sure that it can go across not only humble park, but even in Elgin, Illinois, or Camden, New Jersey, making sure that that sermon was prepared for every level. Yeah. Okay. So, so you say you write, you're writing out, so you're manuscripting these sermons. I'm interested to know uh, how long does that take you? Uh, now, now, right now, you're you're serving a different role with the Assemblies of God. Uh, but again, your long tenure here, 
on Humboldt Park, well, on multiple campuses, but your long tenure here um, at, at New Life. Um, how long did that take you back in the day? Is that a 20, 30, 40, five-hour week process to write out a sermon? Yeah, good question. I, I would kind of earmark. So my day or my week would start something like this. If I preach on a Sunday, Monday, I kind of reviewed my sermon from last week. I would look at it, maybe on a video, what did I do right, what did I do, do right. And then Tuesday, Tuesday, I would begin to prepare my sermon, all the introductions, all the different um, sub points for that. As of Tuesday, I would earmark on that Tuesday, maybe two to three hours, Ed, just begin to get the skeleton. Wednesday, I add more meat to it. By Friday, I needed it done for sure. Why? Because then the other teams get in place. you got PowerPoint. You've got those who are preparing for pro presenters. So in my mind, I've got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I would spend a few hours on Tuesday, a little bit more, maybe four to five hours on Wednesday. And by Thursday night, this bad boy is, is pretty much ready to go. So I would say uh, collectively close to maybe 15 hours to, to be able to get that sermon manually written down. And then I would spend Friday night, Saturday, rehearsing it, rehearsing it, rehearsing it. But for the most part, that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, five hours, they're about 15 hours total. I would write it down manually. Yeah, so we're trying to help teachers and preachers in, in particular, obviously. And when you say rehearse it, rehearse it, I'm interested in that. So are you standing in the pulpit yeah. practicing? Are you in your office? Are you out, you know, preaching at the trees like Billy Graham did as a kid? Who are you preaching that to when you're rehearsing? Or is it just reading and rehearsing in your head? Yeah, so I would... Everywhere I was going, whether I was driving, I knew the points. So I would go back into, hey, welcome. This is Pastor Choco, and I'm turning. I just want to let you know, whether it be driving, whether it be in my house, in my sofa, I would begin to rehearse those. So no place was off boundaries, even showering. <laughs> I would take a shower, and I would act like if I'm preaching. Again, uh, because for me, it's repetitiveness. Ed. Yeah. For me to to own it. I need to own this sermon. If in any way I didn't own this sermon, it would come out clunky to the people on Sunday. But I want it to be such a flow of a motif of, uh, and that's a word there for some of your speakers. There has to be a motif in the sermon that, that, that can connect from one point to another point. And there's a smooth, uh, even all the way down to landing the plane. And so that's where I would rehearse anywhere. It, it was. It didn't make a difference. It could be in front of my kids. It could be in my wife. Hey, babe, sit down. I want you to tell me about this first opening. Tell me if you like it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say this joke. Does it even connect with it? Um, <laughs> and they would be one of my best critics on it. Yeah. So any yeah. place. Any I, place I try. I, I don't tell my jokes to my to my wife and kids because they. <laughs> They don't appreciate my sense of humor. So, but I, I well, get were, that you would be better at that. <laughs> well, there would be times in the, after the first service, because we would run five services in my particular campus, that my wife would come afterwards and say, you know what? Are you going to say that joke again in the second service? Yeah. Don't use it. Yeah. Get rid of it. <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> I, I've, I've, been, I've been told, actually, I told just recently, I'm here, I've been preaching for decades. And my wife said, it was, it was a joke related to us. She said, that's not funny. Don't tell a joke in it. Yes, ma'am. Uh, <laughs> um You've been doing this a long time, and you know when you when you go through some of the approaches to preaching that you've done, you you've kind of talked about you know the intentionality you have and speaking to different parts of the audience. Talk to me about the intentionality in the organization of the message itself. I've heard you preach. Um, 
you're not just it's not just a you know running commentary of 10 pages you wrote out there's an organization how do you organize it what's your what's your pattern for that yeah so when i take a verse in the bible for me for me i kind of put lenses on each angle i try to create an angle let's say Zacchaeus for a moment so we see Zacchaeus going up a tree in luke and so i would go from his perspective i would put a camera on the tree. And what is he seeing? I would put uh, a camera on some of the spectators that are walking with Jesus. And so what are they seeing? So for me, it helps me create and formulate a thought process Mm -hmm. so that I don't go wander. You know, I tell preachers, young pastors, I said, preaching is like taking off on a plane. It's it's pretty much easy to to take off. But boy, when you start going to 30,000 feet, you better know when to land this thing. And so for me was, once I get the introduction and I see Zacchaeus, and then we're going to his house, I begin to bring my audience through all those different cameras. And I want them to see what I'm seeing. It, it, if I don't accomplish that, Ed, I feel like I, I, didn't, I didn't get through enough. So I want to bring my audience to the tree. I want to bring my audience to the house. I want to see them see Zacchaeus uh, feeling guilty, if you will, and say, I'll pay back four times, whatever it is. Um, So that for me is that that motif of carrying my audience through. Where do I want them to land? Where where I want that my audience, what do I want them to walk away with when they leave my my, uh, sanctuary uh, on a Sunday morning? What do I want? And even today as I preach across the country, what do I want people to leave with? I want them to be disturbed. I want them to uh, be provoked in their spirit. Uh, I don't want my messages to be a feel-good message. I really want them to get on the tree, come down from the tree. Because you and I know when Jesus said to Zacchaeus, oh, uh, Zacchaeus, come down, he was essentially saying to Zacchaeus, oh, righteous one. That, that was, that's what his name meant. His name meant, oh, righteous So I give that nugget to the audience. First, I tell him he's a chief tax collector, which means he's the worst of all tax collectors. But then Jesus himself is calling him righteous. And that's not what he's feeling at this moment. So I take my audience through that pattern and land them in the house where we feel like, wow, we should do more. Maybe there's something we can do. So that's for me is important of creating that motif. Uh, and, And it's sometimes maybe two or three points. It's not... 15 points or 10 points right. uh, when it's a sermon. If it's a teaching of leadership in a seminar, I might right. say these are seven principles that mm-hmm. will help you. But on a sermon on a Sunday morning, take them on the road. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, take them on the road. I love that. Uh, your preaching among all those we're doing in this great community communicators series, your preaching is, uh, among on the more narrative side, you're, yeah. you're telling stories, um, you're building through points, um, but that's that. That's a. I mean, again, that's one of the things I think you do remarkably well. Even here, you started. You know, you started telling us. You started preaching to us a little bit and talk, come from the tree and all that sort of stuff. So, how help people think those structurally? Because I think most people, when they think about planning out a sermon, maybe not most, but they'd say point number one is this. Point number two is this. I mean, I, I preached yesterday and I had four points to my sermon and they were on a screen. And that's not quite how you do that. Uh, some of that, but but so talk to us more. How do you organize narrative 
when for most people they think of organization as being like propositions proposition yeah. one from the text proposition two from the text How, so so again organizing narrative what does that look like you know ed uh, i'm i'm better off with storytelling when when i and, and i'm not i'm not against having some points point three or yeah. four points and i've done that i've done that in the past you do that i see that yeah yeah but i like to i don't want to create any stop signs when it comes into a one of my sermons, I want, I want, you know, because I think if I say, okay, point number one, boom, I feel like we stopped there. And mm -hmm. then there has a, then we have to reset everybody's emotions, reset everybody's thought process. For me is I'll say it without telling them that that's a point because I, I want it to fit so well into my sermon narrative that the story itself were like, oh, wow. And if someone who's taking my notes, they probably could create the sermon. They're like, oh, yeah, you talked about the tree. You talked about the house. You talked about forgiveness. You talked about grace. But I wouldn't say it. I just will. I would just talk about it. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's important when I do storytelling. You know well, and anybody, Ed, Jesus, one of the best storytellers on the planet. So I really practice, and I still today practice of telling stories more than um, you know, doing points. And here's the other thing for your viewers. I think stories are such a hook, a hook when, when you're in a new audience. When you're in a new audience, for me, when I travel across the U.S. and I'm going to a new church, I mean, I was just at a Joe Osteen's church and uh, preached over there. And so they don't know me from Adam. But if I can grab them to a story firsthand and we begin there, I get them laughing. I get them interested to knowing the end of my story. And then I intertwine my sermon with that story and then end it with the story. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for me not to have so many stop signs. If, and I'm calling them stop sign right now, Ed, in, on your program here. But I, I don't want it to feel like it's clunky down the road. I want people not to feel like they have to reset themselves. So no, I totally get it. I totally get it. I, and I okay, would say good. for for me, uh, I mean, like this is this is challenging me because I'm not just thinking. Yesterday, I had stop signs. You know, here's point number one. We got that. Let's go to point number two. Right. And so you're building more of the across the totality of the message. Yeah. And how long do you typically? Pre I know you, we're all we're guest speakers a lot of places, yeah. but how long do you preach when you're at your church when you were when you're pastoring? Yeah. So I I normally would do thirty minutes okay. of sermon. Uh, and even today, preachers, when I go to churches, they ask me how much time you need. I would say 30 minutes and, uh, and then some time of commitment or altar call. or. Mm -hmm. But normally 30 minutes would be my sermon. Now, there, truth be told, when I first started, it was like 45 minutes uh, we, because we had one service. Yeah. When you start oh, yeah, totally. It changed everything with one service. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once you got multiple service, you got nurseries that have to be vacated and parking yep. lots. So I had to learn to be at 30 minutes. So today's 30 minutes. Yeah. Talk to me about how you deal with the text. I've seen you teach uh, the biblical text. I've seen you teach topically. I've seen in the narrative story, you sew in, uh, you're just going through the narrative, Zacchaeus. Um, so how how do you, you address, engage the text in the process of your preaching? So normally I would take the text of, uh, let's say we can still talk about Zacchaeus. I would take that text and I would begin to give background of the text. First century, 
I will begin to look at some things that maybe folks, again, remember the different people in the audience. I have my people in church that were 30 years, 20 years, uh, 40 years, whatever. And so I need to find some nuggets. So I would take the text and try to give it perspective of first century. This is what this looks like. I would give a picture of a sycamore tree. Here's what this looks like so that you guys understand. Because we, we could say it as we're preaching, as I'm reading the verse, but people would not have no idea. Some folks would not have an idea how wide this tree is. And so once you understand how wide, you can begin to imagine the struggle that Zacchaeus had to get and up And you're there. building all this in. So you're like, and the, the tree is this wide and this tall, and, and you're giving all these details and bringing people in. Yeah, yeah, you need to. At least for me, if yeah. I'm going to go down that story of Zacchaeus, yeah. Let me give you his struggle. The Bible even tells you that he's short in statue. And so I, I would begin to create that template, if you will. So to answer your question, I would go back to what are, what are we looking at in the text? Mm -hmm. Luke. Dr. Luke is giving us a story. He's very detailed. Doctors are very detailed people, physicians. So I give that perspective, right? Who's the author? Who's writing it? And say, you know, like any... Uh, Physician, they're very detailed, and Luke has given us that. So if there's a doctor in the audience, they would agree with me. Yeah, we're very detailed. We want to know. That's why Luke has the best when it comes to the birth of Jesus. He was there. I mean, he was he was getting all the details of the birth of, 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 of the Savior. So I try to give as much as I can up front of, of, of the text, history, content, and what, what is it, what does it do for us today? Okay, now what if you're in a non-narrative passage, which of course, I mean, one of the great things is most preachers struggle with preaching narrative passages, and there's a whole lot of narrative passages in the Bible, so you've got lots to draw from, uh, but you're going to come to some non-narrative passages. How do, you, how do you address those? Well, I try to, I try to look at the, the culture today and, and see how I can use that scripture. Um, let's see here. Uh, let me try to find a non-narrative passage. Ephesians, beginning of Ephesians. So, or, you know, or, or for that matter, Philippians four, very, very well known, you know, be anxious for nothing. Um, yeah. So I would say, uh, be anxious about nothing, but in everything, give thanks. Give. So I will, I will begin to look at that passage and what are two or three things that come out of that passage about anxious. So I, I'll stay there for a minute and say, you know, people who suffer from anxiety, people who suffer from anxiety. And I would say something like this, uh, anxiety is a choice. It's a choice because it says be anxious about nothing. And so I'll stay there for a little bit, but in everything with supplication, given Thanksgiving, so forth. So I would try to fit two or three things in that passage of Ephesians of, of Paul and, and, and then create my sermon that way. So it may be more topical, it may be more about anxiety and what do we need to do and to have the spirit of Thanksgiving. I would probably mention that gratefulness is the key to heaven's door. So I would take my audience that way if it was not narrative. Okay, okay. You are um, Pentecostal. You are Latino, Puerto Rican. Um, talk about how those things, let's start with Pentecostal. Uh, what is, is Pentecostal preaching, is there a tradition you're drawing on that's different? Um, how, how might we learn from Pentecostal preaching for those who might, might not be? You know, I think for us is the power of, you know, of the Holy Spirit uh, we're very, first of all, we're very passionate, uh, Pentecostalism, uh, and Puerto Rican being Hispanic, we're very passionate people 
about the move of the Holy Spirit. And so yeah, you, we, you told you told me once that all three of those things we were, I don't know we were over at, we were over here at Wheaton. All three of those things are passion, passion. But you had Pentecostal passion, Latino passion, and Puerto Rican passion. So that's a lot of passion. <laughs> we have a lot of passion in our in our soup. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, but being Pentecostal, the sermon for us, Ed, from somebody who's a Baptist, um, I was invited to preach at a Presbyterian conference. And I said to them, do you know who you're inviting? I'm a Pentecostal preacher. And after I was done preaching there, they said to me, this is exactly what we needed, some sort of fire. And so I think Pentecostal preachers, Pentecostal preachers, come with this fire and commitment to the gospel, the commitment to the Holy Spirit and to be led by the Holy Spirit, not my words, but the Holy Spirit to lead me in this passage. And so being Pentecostal, just for me, for me and those that are watching, uh, I lean on the Holy Spirit to, as I'm preaching, to be led another way. I'm not stuck to the text. If I'm sensing the Lord leading me in a different way, Ed, I will remove my notes and I will go down this path. I'm sensing the Holy Spirit leading me this way. So that's something different from other preachers. Um, no doubt our passion for the text, passion for the people to get the text and understand it. So that's important for me as well as a Pentecostal preacher. Yeah, you said I'm not stuck to the text. Come back to that. What, is that, what does that mean? Yeah, so I got my 15 pages. And, and, yeah. and there's been times in Chicago I was preaching, and I sensed the Holy Spirit leading me in a whole different way in this particular service. And I said, you know what, folks? I know I've prepared a sermon. I got my pages here. But I feel like this is what I need to talk about right now. Okay. And I begin to go down that path and, lead, and let the Holy Spirit lead me to what I'm sensing this, at this point for this particular service. And that's happened numerous times. And you, I mean, it was just the power of the Holy Spirit. So I have no problem abandoning. You know, I tell people back in church, the only one that can change the order of service for us, Pentecostals, is the Holy Spirit. Come on. The Holy Spirit can change. So, yes, we have these two songs. Yes, we're going to collect the offering. We've got a video. Pastor Choco is going to preach. But the Holy Spirit can change this thing. So this is just a guide. My sermon, my paper is just a guide. And by the way, I'm still old-fashioned. I still use paper when I preach. I know other people use iPads and so forth, but I still use my three. <laughs> I think everybody iPads. heard it. Everyone, everyone heard you shuffling that paper around, and they're using that example. They're, 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 he was for those of you uh, listening. There's also a video version of this, but so he was holding up his paper and, and waving it around. So, so you know, you know, an iPad. You just swipe it, and you got it's like paper. It's like paper without I the know, rustling sound. I'm just saying. I know, but I just feel one day, you know. This iPad needs to be plugged in. This is already, this is, doesn't need to be plugged in. My paper doesn't need to be plugged in. It's there. There's no, there's no, how do you call it? There's no worry that my battery is going to be 5%. I was preaching one time to all your audience. I was preaching one time. I was trying to be new preacher with an iPad. And I looked to the corner and I saw the red marker 5%. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is the devil is alive. So this was it. This this that traumatizing moment is the reason to this day that you stick with paper. I'm going to tell you. Here's a little trick that I do. I okay. print out a copy and I have it in my Bible, but I use the iPad. But that's another story for another day. We're talking about you. Okay. Yeah. So so is there? You know, we we've had a couple in the series uh, preachers from African American context. And there's like a whole rich African American preaching tradition. Is there a something like that in the Latino context, or, or help me understand a little bit what might be different about 
Latino Hispanic preaching? From from African American? No, no. From is there is there a tradition like there is in the African American context? And so, and then just in general, what what's what's that tradition like? You know, I think in the tradition of the Hispanic, because and here's here here's the conundrum for us, because most of our people come from a Catholicism right. uh, background, even right. myself. And so when we do our preaching, when we do the benediction, when we do an opening, it, I try to incorporate some of those um, endings or beginnings, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in my service of, of preaching, especially when I'm ending the preaching. But, you know, when it comes to the sermon itself, is there any traditions that we stick to? Uh, basically, Ed, I, I think we are the same way when it comes to African Americans. We we want to get to the we want to get to the the verse. We want to get to the uh, the the people to understand it, um, and and hopefully there's a great experience for folks in the church. So I think the only tradition I know in the Hispanic is more the ending, and that's something I did intentionality. Okay, tell me about the ending. Huh? Tell me more about it. Yeah, Humble Park was surrounded. Humble, right. just everyone knows, Humble Park is a, a neighborhood Community. in Chicago that's yeah. a Puerto Rican neighborhood in, in Chicago, a very historic, well-known neighborhood. That's correct. Chicago has 78 communities. Humble Park is one of them, predominantly Puerto Ricans, Hispanic. And so there's a lot of Catholicism. And so when people get saved, they call me father. They call me priest. They come to my church. So I wanted to end, let's just say I ended my service and I did the benediction. Uh you know, uh, or when I greet somebody, peace be with you. And they would normally respond and also with you. Sure. So that's a tradition. Yeah. And I know where they're coming from. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that having that tradition. So when it comes to Hispanics having traditions, uh, maybe not much more in the, in the sermon itself, right. in the 30 minutes, but more in the beginning and in the, in the, uh, and at the end of the service, trying to bring a bookends to, to the people. Uh, we love, we love, we love to know when the service is going to be done, right? So when, at least in, in New Life Covenant, we always did the benediction at the end. And that was a bookend. People knew this is how we're going to end it. And a lot of our Catholics, they got saved. They loved the ending. They loved the pastor's blessing. So that's a tradition that I held on to. Fascinating. Okay, and you were... Um... I mean, you were actually, as we said in the introduction, you were uh, part of the Time 100, right? Uh, Rick Warren wrote the article uh, about you in Time magazine. Uh, Wilfredo de Jesus, better known as Pastor Choco, embodies the true definition of what Christ said the church should be. Kind of explains one of the fast-growing churches in Chicago, uh, one of the largest Assemblies of God churches in the nation. Um, but 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 here's here's the thing that a lot of people maybe are not as aware. There there is a like a still a rolling revival in so much of uh, South Central America, uh, Latino communities here. Um, and, uh, and yet, in the midst of that, you became uh, you know, a powerful voice in that. What, and, and, and others too, we, we could name other people. What about their, and if you don't want to like answer your preaching, let's, we can just say generally, what about their and your preaching caused it to be compelling to a new generation of, um, of Hispanics? You know, the, the, the article you're referring to at Time Magazine, that was called the Reformation of yeah. an exodus that was happening in the Latino community, the Hispanic community, 
from Catholicism to evangelical. And what caused the evangelical in particular, yes. Yeah. And what caused that exodus, in my opinion, uh, Ed, is that we were addressing the storms of life. We, we know that Peter was in a storm and the Catholic Church, they just left it there. But we were talking about how to address storms of life. And, and uh, we didn't, we didn't, I, I didn't feel like that the Catholic Church was addressing some of those issues, prostitution, human trafficking, drug addiction. And, uh, and, and as a result of that, being Latino, being Hispanic, that caused me to reach out. Here's the other thing. Being raised in the hood, I knew that this gospel that we believe in um, should be out in the four walls. And what we're seeing in Central South America of a revival, a revival. Let's take the Assemblies of God for a moment. 70 million adherents. Out of the 70 million, 44 are Hispanic. 44 million are Hispanic. So we, we represent the largest group in the Assemblies of God. And I was just in Costa Rica. Uh, last month, preaching to 22 bishops. And you're talking about church revival, talking about church plant, aggressive church plants in these countries. Amazing, amazing what's happening around Central South America in the Hispanic and here in the U.S. as well. The Assemblies of God grew in the the 2000s, in the year 2000s, because of the Hispanic culture and our aggressive approach to storms to go reach people that are outside of our four walls and cause that growth. Yeah, and this, this, I mean, it comes back to your, you talk about, you know, being a storyteller, um, you're addressing storms of life. And even when you started there, you start talking about, you know, you could just see you're ready to go into that mode. <laughs> so you said earlier, it has to do with knowing and engaging the people. And I think that's really kind of a key part of what you're talking about. So, uh, and I want to come back to that again. Because I think for, we're talking about compelling preaching. What makes preaching compelling? And what you're saying is, is in the context where you are, addressing where people are in the storms of life was a key part of it. Um, you know, it's like people want to know, what do I do now? My, yeah. my, uh, my son has gone off and done this, or my, my marriage is in this situation. Um, the challenge, of course, that, that is, is, is that you also want to build a, a sense of ongoing biblical knowledge in that context as well. If it's just all meeting the needs of the storm, how do we also simultaneously build the biblical foundation that's there? How do you try to balance that out? Because I I know you you built a healthy church there in Humboldt Park and and all the campuses. Uh, How do you do both of those things? Get right into the storms and help people to know and engage the Word of God in ways that are compelling. Yeah, so it's really important for those who are listening and viewers that you do not go away from the biblical narrative. You need to make sure that my uh, your sermons are not only inspirational, but they're biblical and they're, and they're founded. We, we've come to a culture where we have gone so wide and not in depth. And so how do I keep myself with a compelling message to my audience and yet a biblical uh, yeah. uh, that's added to it? You know, we're Hispanics. So we use a lot of flavor in our food. And we have the capacity to add different seasons and have a great rice and beans to this. And so I always want to start with a biblical principle to my sermon, right? So you're going to, when I, when I, once I finish my introduction, I'm going to give you the verse. I'm going to give a little bit of context, but then I also know that in humble park, 41% is single moms. I also Mm. know 
that is a community of 39% that's African-American? What's their struggle? What's the single mom struggle? So I can't be so out of, out of touch with my community that I'm talking about stuff like Moses. And they're like, hey, Choco, my son is committing suicide. My, I'm going through this stuff. So I, I need to find a way that encompasses all these uh, uh, um, issues that our people are facing. And how do I do that? Is within that 30 minutes, pick a passage that I think I can motif through, not manipulate, but I do want them to know scriptures is foundational. We need to go to the Bible. What does the Bible say about suicide? What does the Bible say about what we're facing in our culture today? And let me tell your viewers, and let me tell your pastors that are listening. I told the New York Times last year or two years ago, a few years ago, that for 2,000 years, the Church of Jesus Christ and culture have always been at odds. We've always been at odds. We cannot accommodate culture. We cannot withdraw. So we must engage. And we engage it with our sermon, knowing our audience, knowing our community uh, that prepares us better. If I'm going to go to a place in in Newark, New Jersey, what are they facing in Newark, New Jersey? What are the people in Camden or Connecticut or North Carolina or West uh, uh, California? I try to learn what's going on in those churches or even go on to on, uh, see what were some of those previous sermons that they do. And right. that helps shape my thought. Yeah, I do that too. And I, I think that's super helpful. It always surprises when I'm a guest speaker that I like reference the last week's message. Yeah. But I think people... People do engage that. All right, you mentioned motif several times. For those who are listening, a motif would be just a literal definition, a distinctive feature or dominant idea in an artistic or literary composition. This is the literary composition side. Yeah. So you've got a distinctive feature or dominant idea, that motif. Do you, how do you sew that in? Is that something you, I, I'm probably, you know, I'm, I'm a professor, so I, I probably stay at the beginning, here's what I'm going to tell you. And then I tell them what the, the thesis is. And, and then I, and I and I'll repeat it two or three times, and I'll kind of end with it. And but I'm probably you know that's that's the way professors preach. Um, so how do you communicate the motif? How do you keep the motif throughout the message? And how do you land the motif at the end? Yeah, first of all, you're a great teacher and a great preacher. So I want you to know, and the body of Christ is honored to have you. Um, you know, when I think about a motif, I think about a consistent pattern. In I think about a sweater. If those who are listening a sweater that has a consistent pattern that gets me to it. So if my motif is I want love to be able to resonate throughout this sermon, uh, if I want, I, I begin talking about, uh, let's say that love is the currency of heaven. So I, I, I bring my audience to, number one, is I want them to know that love is the currency of heaven. And then I bring in love is God calls us in John to love our enemies. And so love would begin to pop up. And then maybe I may add a story about an act of love that someone did. Um, uh, maybe I end with my sermon. And maybe some of your viewers may not know my story, but my father abandoned me when I was eight years old. And, and uh, he left my mom in Humble Park, Chicago. And so I usually would tell stories and end it with my father when he, they had to amputate his legs. And, and, and so we had to fly him to Chicago to get him healed. Now, I'm 50-something years old. I do the math, 40-something years without this man in my life. And so I, I pick him up at O'Hare, take him to my house. 
And I would normally end that sermon, if I had to use that sermon, about how I started cleaning his wounds. Love compels me to do this. So everything about that sermon was an act of love, how we should be loving, how in Luke 15, the father loved the boy so much that he gave him half of the inheritance. That was love. He gave him half of the inheritance. And so I, I, I try to keep that going. And then when I land a plane uh, or that sermon, I try to end it, like I said, with a story that is something that they would have heard in the last year or something on the news. Did you hear about this story about this person that was in prison? Did you hear about this lady out of New York? Da, 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 and I was shoulder. So I try to keep my audience walking with me on the theme of love. Fascinating. So walking through with you on the theme, but it's interesting how every time I ask you a question, you use a word picture and you're like, it's like a sweater. And then you go from a sweater <laughs> to your family story. And then you go from your family story to a biblical story. I mean, this is just the way you think. Uh, here's the challenge. This is what, one of the things that makes you such a gifted communicator. Um, not everyone thinks that way. So how can somebody take some of the skills that are kind of natural for you? Maybe maybe they weren't natural for you decades ago. I don't know. Uh, but as long as I've seen you preaching, they are. And what are some ways they can, if it's not natural for them, but it's a helpful way for them to communicate, how can they learn or practice that kind of thing? What would it look like if you were creating a sermon without the natural skills that are there. You could write it down. You could plan it out. You could build the skill. What would you What would you advise? You know, every preacher is different, and yeah. so those that are listening, don't don't beat yourself in the head if 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 you're not a Rick Warren or that's that's or I, I just can't be that. I'm not as educated, and so we got to be true to who we are, um, and and be able. But it doesn't mean that we try not to get better, right? I've always said that a leader that stops learning, stops leading. So I would say if your strength is um, uh, an evangelistic uh, or if your strength in preaching is series, uh, but you're not a narrative preacher, you're not a, uh, when you, you know, you dissect a text that maybe that's not your strength. I would look at other sermons of people that are preaching that are, that, that are that, that are narrative or the exegetical preacher I want to learn more from that person. So I listen to them. I'm not going to take their sermon. I want to see how they did it. Um, and then I would put myself in some conferences where preachers are preaching that I, I'm really inspired by. And I would drive. I used to go every year to Tommy Barnett School to learn in, in Phoenix, Arizona. So I will put myself, if you're not that type of preacher of a narrative, and you're maybe not that motif, find the preacher that you can relate to and begin to follow them and be able to learn from their style a little bit, because I think everyone can learn, but that's what I've done. I've just right. tried to listen to people like yourself and Rick Warren and everybody has different styles. I don't right. want to be Rick Warren. I don't want to be Ed Stetzer. I don't want to be Tommy Barnett, but I do want to learn is how can I get something from each one of these guys that God is using to better my storytelling uh, one, one last question. Um, what are some key lessons you've learned over the years to communicate in clear and compelling ways, things you've just learned from experience? And it could be, you know, similar to what you've talked about before, or maybe something we haven't talked about thus far. Yeah, some of the things that I've learned is always, for me, the simple things is eye contact with the, with the audience. Am I looking at the people? Um, I've learned that. That's something that's hard for me. Ed. When, I, when I started preaching, I know this is not, you're not going to believe this, but I'm really an introvert. 
Um, I, 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 I don't believe that. Not saying wrong with an introvert. I just don't. I'm surprised by that, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I, I am really, my character is an introvert. But anyway, I've learned to force myself to look at people in the first row, second row. And those that are in the fifth row, I just look on top of their heads. And, and But it may look like I'm looking at them. So I've learned to do that. I've learned to stick to my time. Uh, I've learned to uh, make sure that if it's 30 minutes, I've mastered to, to stay within that. So 25 minutes into my sermon, I know I'm coming to an end. So I've learned to do that. Um, I've learned to look at books, read books that are not all uh, spiritual books, but they may have some stories about, you know, Lee Iacocca or, uh, you know, I love stories, um, even though Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a, is a German scholar, but I try to read up on other people and to help me facilitate my preaching um, sermons. Um, so looking at people, uh, keeping to my time, uh, always making sure that my sermons are sharp. I don't want to, um, if it's a book that I'm preaching out of, that's different, but I want to make sure that I'm bringing something fresh from the throne of God. And, and everybody who's listening, I think it's important that you get in the presence of God and, and hear what God has to say. Like right now, I'm preparing three new sermons. Three new sermons, found faithful, uh, transactional versus transformational. These are sermons that I've never preached before, but I just felt like we need to bring a message of being faithful. But anyway, so that's that's something that I, I want preachers to know is to get in the presence of God, to keep their sermons fresh, watch your time, and uh, keep always keep an eye on your, your audience, you know, Give them that eye contact is so so important for me. Pastor Choco, good to good to connect with you. Good to talk about preaching. I don't think we ever talked about preaching before. We talked about a lot of things, but I don't think we talked about preaching before. Yeah. But it's such a <laughs> gift that you've been to uh, the body of Christ and now serving with the Assemblies of God before that here in Chicago. And thanks for taking the time for the conversation. Ed, thank you so much for your leadership and doing this. And I hope this was helpful for your viewers and listeners. And uh, we're friends for everybody. Let's go change. Let's go change the world. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Wilfredo de Jesus, also known to many as Pastor Choco. Thanks again for listening to the Setzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review that'll help other ministry leaders find and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.